Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the everyday association professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. Over the past couple of years, with everything happening in the world, mental health in the workplace has been at the forefront of many conversations for employers and employees alike. We've seen growth in discussions about burnout, work-life balance, workload, and respecting boundaries. These aren't always easy conversations and often showcase how intertwined our personal and professional lives can be in today's work environment. These aren't unique challenges to associations, and our guest today can help us support ourselves, our employees, and our members. Our guest is Kristen Boyce, LMFT. She's the owner of Pathways to Healing Counseling, LLC. She brings a warm, compassionate, and caring energy to her clients. She specializes in improving self-worth, helping couples and families resolve conflicts and develop powerful communication skills, effective parenting strategies, making life transitions, grief and loss, reducing anxiety and working through trauma. But most importantly, she instills hope, helps create possibilities, and develops a sense of inner peace. So welcome, Kristen. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you, Nick, for having me. I am really excited about this important conversation. Absolutely. So just as we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you started in the profession and career that you're in today, and tell us about your journey? It's been an interesting journey. I was actually in corporate America. I was an executive at a Fortune 500 company and ran the sports marketing department. So took a pivot in my career when I was moving to a consulting company and ended up having all the employees in my office (laughs) processing what was going on, (laughs) what their fears were. We had a lot of acquisitions. And so I ended up functioning in a place of being the safe place for Mm -hmm. people to come and just kind of understand what they were going through, work through their fears. And so I went back to school to get my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And so I own a private practice here in the Indianapolis area with 14 clinicians. And we are busy. It is the busiest season of my 20-year career in mental health because we were already on an uptick of kind of a mental health crisis before COVID hit. And then once COVID hit, that really mm-hmm. sprang and brought things to the light that might have been underneath the surface. And so ever since then, we have been slammed. So I'm already starting off script. Uh, curious, you being so busy, is that, I mean, in your perspective, is that good or is that bad? It can be, I would say good definitely good. The The shortfall is we are short. We, there's a shortage of mental health providers. And so the demand now is so great. There's not enough providers to meet that demand. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a challenge is finding a therapist that doesn't have either a six month to a year wait list. Wow. So the good news is we are destigmatizing getting help, asking for help, and really wanting to feel better at the end of the day. And the challenge is at the same time, finding a provider that has availability. Right. So good in the sense that, right, like people seem to be a lot more open to have these conversations. It doesn't seem weird when somebody says, I'm talking to a therapist tonight. Um, It's just kind of the norm now uh, for a lot of people. Which I love because then we can actually get the help we need and feel better, less depressed, less anxious. Because we're right now in history, we're the most anxious Mm -hmm. culture than we've ever been. Yeah. Well, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that, right? I think our association professionals, we're not unique in the sense that I think we're feeling a little anxious. We're worried about what's happening in our jobs. And so we will definitely talk through some of those things. 
So you mentioned right in kind of after leaving the corporate world, um, you know, you became the person that a lot of people came to speak with. And I think the work that you do today obviously shows you value the importance of mental health. So how did you know throughout that kind of conversation that, you know, this is my, this is my passion. This is the thing that I need to focus on now. I have a keen curiosity for people and who's in front of me. So what's their story? I love hearing people's journey and their story. Like who is this person? What makes them who they are? Why do they have these triggers? Why do they feel this way right now? I, it's like a big puzzle. And I love putting the pieces together to go, oh, that makes sense why that was a trigger for you. Or that makes sense why you feel afraid of losing your job. Or you feel afraid when there's an acquisition, what's going to happen in that uncertainty and what to do with it. There's there's so much depth there, and I have a I just love being curious about what makes people who they are, and so that led me into psychology because mm-hmm. I was like, if I love this so much and it doesn't feel like work to me, it felt very natural that I wanted to follow that leading I was getting, and it was definitely the right move for me. That's good to hear. I think, yeah, I mean, I, the work you do, I think you have to have that curiosity about people or, I, you know, I'm obviously not a therapist, but I would anticipate that would get to be some pretty draining work sometime if that's not something that really, really brings some of that energy to your life. Yes. Yeah, self-care is very important. <laughs> so from your perspective, you know, I mean, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, um, maybe a, re- a little bit of a reduction in the stigma perhaps, but I, I, I might posit that there's still a little bit of a stigma out there, especially within the workplace, um, to talking about mental health. So why, where does that taboo come from? Where does that stigma come from? And why is it still around? So this is the interesting journey of mental health, because when we go to work, we put everything away. This is the historical nature of being a job. You can't cry. You have to have it all together. You have to basically compartmentalize everything in your life. So when you're at work, you're at work and nothing leads into your job. And what we know to be true now with research and discovering that you can't compartmentalize everything because that leads to disconnection, dissatisfied in your job. You feel you don't feel like you're part or belong to the culture. And what we're learning now is the number one challenge for corporate America, businesses, organizations is mental health. If we're not talking about what's going on personally with somebody, chances are they're not going to feel like they belong or feel connected in that culture and want to leave. So we know how significant it is to feel seen. And when you feel seen at work and you feel accepted for who you are and you can come there and it's a safe place to be as you are. Now we have to take responsibility, of course, for our own regulation at work, right? We can't just come in dysregulated and put that on all of our coworkers. I have to be responsible for my own emotions, managing those emotions. And I want to feel like someone cares about me. So employers right now, if they don't show that they care about their employee for what's going on in their life, what about their family, their friends, their neighbors or coworkers, it doesn't have to be all those things, but they need to know the person that is that they are is working for them. Yeah. What are some of the behaviors around that? So just I mean, you're talking about showcasing that, right? How does an employer show that? So asking, how are you? And so if someone goes, fine, 
I'm fine because this is what we've been conditioned to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been conditioned to put a smile on our face and say, I'm fine. And that stands for feelings inside, not expressed. It's a very programmed response, a very conditioned response. So feelings inside, not expressed. And what that ends up doing is we think, I don't want to burden anybody. I don't want to be too much for somebody. I don't want them to think I'm a hot mess. I don't want them to think less of me. So I'll just say I'm fine and move on because they don't really care anyways. And what I encourage an employer to say is, no, really, how are you? I really want to know. Kind of that deeper follow-up. That deeper follow-up. And a great question that you can say is, if we um, were standing around the the cooler, you know, the water cooler, what would be something about you that I don't know that might be going on in your life Hmm. that you would want to share? So you start curious, use curiosity not as an interrogation. So you, it's really important someone's tone, someone's body language, facial expressions. People pick up on does their affect, does their body language match up with what they're saying? Hmm. So if they're going, well, how are you? I mean, the tone, you could hear the difference in tone versus how are you? I really, I know you were sick last week. How are you feeling? You know, what? tell me about what's going on. And if they don't want to share, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you're using, I care about you and be genuine about that. So it has to be a genuine truth for you, not a script you're reading from. So I'll find people go, how are you? And it's like, are you saying that as part of the script or do you really want to know? People will sniff out the difference because this is what a good manager does. A good Mm -hmm. manager says, how are you? Even though I don't really care, they will pick up on that energy of not really caring and it being inauthentic and not genuine. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like that can be seen in like those one-on-one conversations, right? Like here's my checklist. Here's the things as a supervisor I'm supposed to say to my, my supervisees. I'm supposed to start with some small talk. Then I'm supposed to ask how you're doing. Then we'll get into the meat of our conversation. And then I do one more quick check-in at the end just to make sure. Exactly. Exactly. So it has to be, someone has to also, I think what I encourage leaders to do is leaders are doing their own growth work. And I think that's an important part of a conversation when I'm working with a company or an organization. Are you doing your own growth work as a leader, as a boss, as an owner? Are you do as an organization? Are you growing yourself? Are you seeing where you get defensive and you can get reactive? Are you seeing where you shut down, withdraw, just kind of move away from conversation? Do you see where you have growth area? Because if you're not doing that, it will not trickle down. Mm -hmm. It'll be a cog in the wheel. And I see that a lot if I see leaders not doing their own work. Other people feel that and they don't feel ca- there's there's a disconnect there. Yeah. So if I'm recapping well, right, this stigma really just came from kind of this old mindset, right, that those are two separate things. You have work, you, and you have home, you, and they don't interact. But we're seeing that break down a little bit more and that employers can really just ask, right? But it needs to be an authentic ask, right? Yes. And not intrusive where you're going to use that against an employee where people Mm. are afraid if they know I'm going through a divorce, for example, 
let's say someone's going through a divorce and I tell them that my job could be in jeopardy because they're going to think right. my performance is decreased because I'm going through a divorce. Yep. Yeah. And so they won't disclose there's not that transparency piece because they're afraid that's a threat to losing their job. Right. No, that makes total sense. So as, as an owner of a company that focuses on this, right, you do therapy, you do counseling service. How do you, how do you support your staff? How do you keep them motivated? How do you check in on your staff? Probably in what maybe sometimes may feel like even a more hypersensitive location because all your folks, right, know, know this should be happening as well. But how do you do it? What are, what are the things you excel at with your team? First, first of all, I walk the walk. I do my own work. I'm looking at where are my areas of growth? Where did I get reactive? Where did I get mm. triggered at work? Where did I have a stronger kind of maybe a more intense reaction inside of me? It might not have been outward, but inward. Chances are there's something there for me to explore that's deeper than meets the eye. And recognizing my own patterns and my own behavior, my own emotions is important part of leadership. And right now with mental health being an all-time crisis, leaders have to be willing to look in the mirror and be honest and transparent about what they're struggling with. So the first thing is recognizing my own patterns, my own reactions, my own emotions, taking responsibility for those. I call it radical ownership. And the other key to, I think, our organization and how I have to walk the walk so I'm congruent. So who I am outside of Pathways is the same person at home, is the same person wherever you see me. I'm congruent. It's the same me. There's not different me's that appear. So, being real, being authentic, telling the truth about what's happening. So, during COVID, I was very transparent. Here's what we need to do and confidently transparent, but trying to figure it out as I went. Here's what we need to do. Here's how it'll impact you. Here's how I'm dealing with it personally and all the changes. I think acknowledging the elephant in the room, like acknowledging when there's a transition, I name it. I say, I, I normalize that this can stir up fear, this can stir up anxiety, that this can stir up uncertainty. And it's okay to talk about it. I I want to give yourself and others permission to talk about it with each other. So there's no threat if they do need to process, we're not going behind the scenes to process it. We're going directly to your boss to process what needs to be processed. And we have a, a whole environment of transparency. What do I mean by transparency? I mean, we're not pretending we have it all together. We're not placating me to give me the answer that they think I want to hear. They're not perfecting everything to make everything perfect. They're being real. And that creates safety in a work environment where they can be their authentic self. They can say how they feel. And they're also taking responsible for their own feelings. They're not blaming, shaming other people. They're not going behind the scenes, talking behind people's backs. We go directly to the person. If you have an issue, we go directly to that person. And that's how we as a culture have decided to create that safety. We aren't going to go behind someone's back. And if I have an issue with somebody or a concern, I will go directly to that person. And we have very important, challenging conversations sometimes. We don't shy away from hard conversations. And I think a lot of organizations, 
they will just bury it, ignore it. And then during review time, guess mm-hmm. what comes up? The white elephant in the room that was never mentioned. It's like, well, a year ago when you kept coming in late, but it was never, I it was never communicated. That's problematic. That creates a lot of distrust because people are like, well, why didn't you tell me that at when it was happening. And so you have to learn how to have hard conversations effectively. And that is part of leadership. And then what I find is the leaders that avoid or blow up or get dysregulated instead of in real time having the conversation, it ends up leading to low morale. Mm. And that ends up feeling like that's not a safe environment. So the last thing we do is I do check-ins. So I might emotionally check in and say, how are you doing? I know last week you had said you were having an ultrasound. How did that go? I will make mental notes of things to follow up with. I might send them an encouraging text. I might write them a handwritten note. I might really just try to let them know I'm thinking about them. I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. If you need anything, let me know. Of course, we can't be therapists. You guys, you know, people in corporate America aren't meant to be therapists. We're meant to provide safety in terms of being honest about how you're really feeling and what's going on. Truth-telling, transparency. Yeah, I think that's a great piece there at the end, especially, right? Like we're not therapists. That's not my job. I'm not a counselor. Um, I'm not trained, right, to do that work. And nobody at my office is trained to do that kind of work. But you're right, providing that safety that as an employee, you have confidence that you can share something and that that's going to be listened to, that's going to be respected. I like your, your thought process as well of just taking those mental notes about, oh, they mentioned you know, they were going to go on a trip, but planning the trip was maybe a little stressful, um, you know, for whatever reason. And so checking in on those small things, because I think that makes, I mean, as somebody who that's been done for, right. I mean, that makes me feel listened to. It makes me feel like, oh yeah, they remembered that. That was nice. So I think that's, it's just, they seem simple, right? It seems like a simple task, but sometimes I do think these are pretty difficult things when we have so many other competing interests. Yes. And it makes the person feel seen like, oh, they really heard me. Like to your point, they really paid attention. They really care about me enough to ask a follow-up question. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned curious on reflection for some of our supervisors or just a leader, right? You know, you said, oh, if I I realized maybe I blew up or I reacted uh, negatively in a situation. So what are some of those reflection questions you might ask yourself in that scenario then to try to think about how you could approach a situation differently in the future. I'll give you an example because this just happened last week. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, got a, I got a rough night's sleep and I'm lead, leading the team meeting. We have a team meeting every week and I could feel that I was just a little off. I could feel in my body, I was tired. I could feel a little more irritation by what people were saying. It wasn't them. I could feel the difference. It was me. Like mm-hmm. they're asking what, so the point was we're, we're coordinating a team training and not everybody could do the dates. So, you know, and I could sure. feel myself trying to accommodate everybody and then could feel that kind of irritant, like, Hey guys, I'm trying to, for, you know, pay for this team training and but it was something inside of me. It wasn't them. And I had to be self-aware enough. And I could tell I wasn't my normal self. I could feel off and they could feel I was off. Mm -hmm. And so what I said is, Hey guys, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. And so I just want to, I can tell I'm probably sounding a little off today. 
And it's just being transparent, like that simple. So the reflection question was, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling triggered by this? Mm -hmm. So why am I feeling? What is the trigger inside of me? What am I feeling? And then getting honest with myself to say, okay, I'm tired. And I'm in that's okay. Like own it to people. Say, I'm tired. I may feel a little off today. And then somebody might be like, yeah, me too. And you can go, okay. And then me trying to accommodate everybody, that's some work for me to do to go, I can't accommodate everybody. There's absolutely 0% chance. Well, there might be a 1% chance I could get (laughs) everybody for two days on the same date. And that's okay. Like I'm not going to be able to accommodate everybody. So that's an example of as a leader, recognizing your own energy, being connected to your body responses. Like, oh, my body, I just got a real like short of breath or I just could feel that my you know, throat tightening or rapid heartbeat, that's telling you something. That's information for you as a leader to go, oh, what's going on for me right now? Yeah. I joke with some of my friends. So I have an Apple watch now. And um, sometimes on calls, you know, if it's feeling a little stressful, I'll actually get that notification on here that says, hey, high heart rate. Um, and those are moments when I'm like, okay, what's going on with this situation that like is making my heart beat so fast. Um, and sometimes like, it's like, I was nervous about maybe presenting something or whatever, but I think that that's, that's a tech trigger for me that I'm like, Ooh, that's something I should think about later about like, why, why was it so high? Exactly. And it cues your brain. The other thing we do as a team, and I do a mental health Monday with the mayor of Noblesville here. It's a, a suburb here in Indianapolis every other week. And we get on Facebook And I started off with deep breathing. Hmm. So as a team, we feel our feet on the floor. And at first he was like, I mean, he's the mayor of Noblesville. He's like, what are we (laughs) doing? Like, I thought we were doing a mental health Monday. And I'm like, no, we got to breathe. Like we have to learn how to do some deep breathing to get our nervous system regulated so we can handle that stress. We can handle that overwhelm. We can handle everything coming at us and stay regulated. So we actually do square breathing where we inhale through your nose for four, we hold for four, and we slowly exhale our mouths for eight. That is something we also do as a team. So we're doing breathing. We start off the team meetings with some deep breaths to kind of center ourselves so we don't have to feel defensive. And you know, when we're like, okay, what's the pipeline or what do we have coming up? Or, you know, we don't do the pipeline thing, but I know that was my (laughs) former corporate America background. We can be regulated and not feel like I got to, I got to be ready for there to have a comeback or the right answer. We can be more relaxed in our nervous system. So that deep breathing is also another thing. And your Apple watch will also tell you to breathe. And a lot of mm-hmm. clients are like, yeah, I bypassed that. I yeah, just I turned closed. that off. I dismissed <laughs> it for the day. <laughs> and I'm like, don't do it. Let it tell you because it's a brain cue mm-hmm. to help you go, oh, I need to recenter. It's been a stressful day. I've had a lot on my plate. And as business owners, it can be a lot to manage and it can feel lonely. And as employees, we can feel this disconnect, right? And so in order to get back to connection and get back present, the breath is the vehicle for that. So what are what are some best practices um, maybe that we can give to our listeners today? So any level, right? Incoming professional, tenured owner of a company, maybe just what are some best practices that we can give folks on how they can help their mental health as it pertains to work? Um, what can they do? 
first of all, I think with work, we can make up a lot of stories, which are shame-based, like I'm not good enough. I'll never, they'll never promote me, or I'll never be able to do this job, or I have no idea what I'm doing. Those are all that fear-based, shame-based responses. The first thing is to recognize when you're in shame. Shame takes us down to this place of feeling incompetent, like I'm incompetent or I'm not capable. And when we can just kind of go, okay, that's a story I'm making up. That's fear. Take a deep breath, recenter. It's important that we can write out how we feel. So I really encourage people to write it out in their phone or on a piece of paper or journal, something about get that out so it doesn't live in your body. And I think the other thing is movement. We've been behind a screen for so long for many of us, and we need to move whatever physically able you're able to do. So it might be getting up and stretching. It might be taking the dog for a walk. If you're at home, it might be walking around your building. Movement and breath and checking in with what you're feeling emotionally, because that's where we're getting off. We're, we're seeing a lot of emotional intelligence trainings coming forward, and we will continue to in corporations because we have to be able to name what we're feeling. Um, that's an important part of processing. And if we're not connected to what we feel, we're going to feel disconnected in the workplace. We're going to feel like we don't belong in the workplace. And that's really important that people feel like they belong at work because we're otherwise they're going to be searching for that other places. Now, sometimes it's not a work issue. It's a separate mm-hmm. issue. They might have trauma that's unprocessed or undealt with that got kind of displaced onto the work environment. So it's not always just the work environment. And the other thing I want to encourage people is have a support system. So build a support system outside of your job, whether that's um, what it doesn't matter. Let's say you have a hobby, you're in a running club or you're in a sewing club, whatever that looks like for you, but having something outside of work. So your whole identity isn't just your job. It's one of the most important things for mental health. So obviously the the pandemic, right, impacted a lot of things. So I'm curious what you think will stick after the pandemic, right? We know that there are things I, I'm going to say, maybe I don't want to say they're fads, but right, like mental health feels like something we're really focusing on right now. But what do you feel like is actually going to stick for the future? Yeah, it's a great question because I don't want to be a doomsdayer, but I don't see this mental health getting resolved anytime soon with what's going on in in general. Now, can it individually get healed? Yes. But as a collective, I think this is going to remain an essential component to companies, organizations, associations. It is critical that this is sustained indefinitely. And I don't see it going away because it's such a crisis. I don't think it's going to get resolved overnight. I think it's going to be decades and decades because we were already heading here. Mm -hmm. So if we want to retain employment, if we want to retain employees and and leaders and creativity and innovation, it's essential that we have mental health part of organizations. And it's normalized, it's encouraged, it's supported through conversations, through programming, through company events and outings. We are, to- we are 
addressing it. So we're going to do fun things together. And I think that's, we know through research, that's one of the most important things with healthy organizations that they have functions together. And some people don't really like the functions. (laughs) So other things could include, you know, a game night uh, via Zoom. Other things can include videos, but it's conversations and human relationships that are really essential. So we no longer, we're not robots. We're not meant to be isolated. We are meant to be in connection with one another. And surviving long-term organizations will focus on that component relationship. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, right, like could be decades of work still, right? It's not bad. It's not a bad thing, but that's something that we need to be focusing on because to your point, right, we've, we've neglected that for so long. So now we gotta, we gotta make up the past and build for the future. You bet. And that is the key. It's, it was neglect. And now this has brought it to the surface. And I'm so grateful for that because it was necessary. It was going to happen eventually. And now is the time that it's coming to the surface and for us to not minimize it, not bypass it, not rationalize it like we've been denying it for so long, because that was what was done to us in a lot of ways growing up. And when organizations participate systemically and also not addressing things and ignoring things, it will come to the surface. It will manifest itself. It's important we learn how to address emotional wellness. Absolutely. I think I have one final question here. Um, just as a as association professionals, right? We work with, uh, I mean, a variety of people, right? We work with volunteers. We work with just general members who may not necessarily do anything, but they're engaging in our space. Um, so, what are, what might be a way that we can check in on the mental health of our members, right? Knowing that really outside of our industry, there's not a lot we can do to impact, right? I don't, I don't manage their company. I don't manage the environment they work in. But how can I control and help what I can? Yeah, I think this podcast is beautiful because now we're we're addressing it and you're offering tools and resources and having a conversation starter around it. So this, first of all, fantastic. And I think the more information you can make available by naming, offering resources and tools, the better. So that's number one. Number two, conversations. Practicing what we're encouraging other people to do is conversations. So whether that's at an annual event or that's through programs and offerings, we are talking about this. We're asking questions. Where? What is your biggest struggle would be a question I would ask mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health. Um, that would be a question I would ask because you can either do that through a survey, you can do that through a conversation, and you can do that through both focus groups. Where it, What is your biggest fear in addressing mental health because there's fears around talking about it. They're like, I'm not a therapist and I'm afraid to bring it up and I don't want to cross any toes or, or, you know, I don't want to overstep my bounds. And so they err on the side of not saying anything. And then, so we want to have some training on how to have these conversations, how to engage with um, talking and addressing and asking curious questions appropriately. And they, you know, if someone has a boundary around that, that's okay too. That's mm-hmm. that's not a threat. That's like, okay, I will respect that. And I think offering resources that are helpful. And because I think people get overwhelmed sometimes, they're like, here's the resource, but it needs to be whittled down in a common language that we can digest and understand. 
And I think the last component is really, there's no, having education around this is one thing and then living it out is another. So as an organization, you're kind of modeling what it looks like to have within your organization, healthy emotional wellness programming and emphasis and communication with your employees. And then that helps them go, oh, this is what they're doing. That gives them a model for how to do it as well. Yeah, I really like that. Pave the way, right? And I think that's what exactly. associations do a lot of the time, right? We are kind of like the laboratory for ideas for our members to utilize and see what they can do. And getting feedback is great. I love feedback loops. I love open feedback loops. So you test something out and you let you are able to get honest feedback back. What worked? What didn't work? What did you get blocked? Where did you where did you get stuck? Right. What what roadblocks did you run into? That's so helpful in growth and creating new programs. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, thank you for for being here with us today. I really appreciate this conversation. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Before we wrap up, if if somebody is looking to connect with you maybe or just other resources, um, how can they find you on the internet? How can they get in contact with you? Our web address is Kristen D. Boyce, B-O-I-C-E dot com, or Pathways to Healing Counseling is the name of the practice dot com. I also have a podcast called Close the Chapter, and that's on all platforms. Free information. I've talked, I think there's 150 plus episodes. I can't even remember now. So if anyone wants to go on there and get resources, they're available. And then social media, Instagram and Facebook at Kristen D. Boyce. I'm happy to answer questions as I can. And I just want to encourage you to lean into discomfort because we tend to really push away from discomfort, hard conversations, especially if those are triggering for you because you're scared. It's important you get some support around that so you can have those conversations and feel supported yourself in that. Gosh, well, thank you so much. Again, this was a great conversation um, and we really appreciate having you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like for us to explore, please send us an email at info at isae.org.